And hello, Lighthouse family. It's good to see you once again. And uh, hey, it's the first Sunday in July. We've celebrated Canada Day, and for the Americans across the border, they're celebrating their Independence Day. So anyways, uh, it's a great day to be alive and to be uh, looking at God's Word. We are in the book of Second Peter. I've been preaching through that for the last few weeks. And uh, the whole issue of Second Peter is helping us to be steadfast in our Christian walk. There's a distinct challenge, I think, for every believer to be steadfast. I guess the idea is to be unmovable in our walk with Christ. And today we have many believers today that are struggling. And there's many different reasons as to why they struggle and what's going on. But Second Peter, he's addressing this issue. We've mentioned already that Peter is nearing the end of his life. He's 60 years of age. This is during the time of Nero. There's a lot of persecution going on. And as a distinct result... Uh, the Christians are under persecution as he writes this letter to them. And what he's trying to do is he wants to also challenge them that the Word of God is true. Uh, we know that there's many different aspects of that, that the, ver- the veracity of, or, of truth in terms of what the Scripture teaches can indeed be challenged in our world today. He also goes on to talk about maturing in the Christian faith, that one of the things in the Christian life is this, that you just can't, uh, in a sense, put your faith and trust in Christ, and as I mentioned a while back, sit, soak, and sour in the pew. And the idea is that we need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He delineates in the first uh, verses 5 through to 7 of the of uh, Second Peter, the uh, some of the virtues and some of the characteristics that ought to be present in the Christian life. He talks about faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, kindness, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and, of course, brotherly affection with love. And he said these are the seven character traits that ought to be evident in your life. But as we talked about last week, there was a sense in which uh, he was being challenged as to what was the real truth of what he was saying. So he talked about two different experiences last week. We talked about that. One at the Mount of Transfiguration, and the other he talked about was his uh, time with the Lord Jesus Christ on the Sea of Galilee in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, where Christ prophesies and and lets them know, by the way, here's uh, how you're going to die. And so he talked about those two specific experiences at this point to kind of talk about the fact that I have seen and evidenced who Christ is. But the thing is, as we look at today's passage, we're looking at 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. We want to talk about the certainty of the gospel. So if you're going to base your life on something, you better be sure that it's the truth. And so your life and destiny are based upon what you believe. So how can we be sure what we believe is really the truth? How can we be sure that the Bible is really true? It's a really good question because today people are challenging whether the Bible is really what it says it is. And the question is, what do we base our life goals on? Uh, there are big questions that are really relevant to all of us. And even Socrates said, the unexamined life isn't worth living. But pick it up within your Bibles as you've got it. In 2 Peter 1, verses 19 through to 21, we read these words. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's just bow our heads and pray for God's blessing on his word to our hearts this day. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the inspired, inerrant word of God. Lord, we're glad that we can put our faith and confidence in the word of God and that the word of God literally transforms lives. So, Father, today, for every listener, for everyone that's watching, I pray that you will guide them into your truth. Open their hearts, open their understanding, so they might grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we do have the prophetic word. Uh, so you look at this passage and you see that the word of the Old Testament prophets is a way of referring to the Old Testament. Peter stated that the prophetic word was more fully confirmed or certain. And so he says, he referred to that actually in a sermon at Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2, 16 to 21, where he again talks about why we can put our trust in the word of God. And he said, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, speaking of a prophecy, the book of Joel in the Old Testament. In those last days it shall be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, I want to verify, God speaking through me verifies what Scripture is always taught. The prophets spoke of it. And so he's saying, we can have this conviction that the word of God is true based on the prophetic teachings that we have in the Old Testament, which again came to fruition in the life of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12, in his first letter he said this, concerning this salvation, in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was yours to be searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of the Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, speaking of the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels long to look. Peter <coughs> is saying that God has spoken again, confirming what he said before and giving a partial fulfillment of it. Of course, this increased Peter's, I think, expectation of the next stage in God's plan. He read about the future expectation of the suffering Messiah. So what's he doing? He's trying to back up. Here's why we can have confidence in the word of God. And he's going back to the Old Testament. He's saying, here are the prophetic words from the prophet Joel. Here are the prophetic words, and we're going to go now to the book of Isaiah. And these things have come through in the life of Christ. We see in Isaiah 53, 4-6, Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we seemed stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that was brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
that is a prophetic word from the book of Isaiah that was fulfilled in the life of Christ. So he's writing these people in the, in the churches. He says, we can have this certainty, this confidence that the word of God is true, that the word of God is fulfilled. And not only is it fulfilled, but we've actually seen the evidence of it. That's why we can have this trust, this faith, that the God of the Bible is a God of truth. Now we read about also in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 again, which was fulfilled in the life of Christ. It says, therefore, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So the right response, he said, is to go back to the Old Testament as a priority and pay attention to what it's saying. In other words, if you can't trust what I'm saying, look at the Word of God. So why, why all this reasoning that Peter brings up in this letter? Why is he doing that, you might ask? Well, Peter might have been anticipating a reply to his experiences with Christ. Because there's sometimes people will challenge you on the basis of your experience. Uh, you might have heard this statement when you shared your own experience with, of Christ, with Christ with someone who maybe was an unbeliever. And maybe they said this to you. It might go something like this. Well, that may be your experience, but it sure wasn't my experience. And my experience doesn't agree with yours. And so sometimes we try to share the gospel on the base of experience. People can try to say, well, your experience doesn't match up my experience, so therefore what you're saying is really not really great at all. And they nullify it. See, when your personal word or testimony is rejected, there is still a testimony that the word of God is true. You notice when you listen to Billy Graham, I know he's with the Lord now, he passed away, great evangelist. When you hear him preach, he'll say these exact words. The Bible says, the Bible says. And my friend, that's our authority. That people can try to nullify your experience. They can say, well, hey, maybe you've had these experiences with Jesus, but, but when we take them to the word of God, why do we do that? Because the Word of God stands on its own. God says that His Word will never return void. God promises that His Word will accomplish that which He purposes it to. So one of two reasons to study the Bible, he brings it up. First of all, it's a lamp shining in a dark place. The Scripture being light is nothing new to us. In Psalm 119, verse 105, we read these words, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light to my path. And when he talks about the darkness of the world that Peter's talking about, he says, this world is a place of squalor. It's talking about the doom of a dungeon. That's what the word is bringing out here. And if we're not to lose our way, the word of the prophets, the word of the Old Testament, he's, he's talking to the believers in the New Testament church, is our true guide in this world. For you and I as believers, we have the entire revealed word of God from Genesis through to Revelation, that is to be our guide as to how we live, how we act, and how we look to our future uh, through the written Word of God. A person is foolish to stumble in the dark, especially when there's light available. You ever found yourself sometimes in a storm and you've, there's a huge power outage and you're looking around, you're scrambling, because the first thing you want to do in your home when the power goes out is 
We've got to find a candle. We've got to find a flashlight. Because you say, nobody likes to stumble in the darkness. And Peter was not also afraid to, in a sense, submit his teaching to the scrutiny of Scripture. And that's very vital and important because what he's going to be doing in this book, he's going to be addressing the false teachers that are coming that are denying the fact that Christ is going to come again in chapter 3. He's going to talk about some of their other false teaching as well in that area. But he knew his testimony would stand the test when it was compared to what does the Scripture say. He's saying, if you look at my words, at what I'm speaking, what I'm preaching, it matches what the Old Testament prophet said. So he knew his testimony would stand firm because it matched with what God's Word says. And, you know, there's a lesson for you and I there, my friends. And that's this. Sometimes we try to share specific experiences to what God has done in our lives. But remember this, that your experience must first be measured by what does God's Word say. If your experience does not match with what God's Word teaches, discount the experience. Because this is the acid test. This word of God is the acid test that says that whether the experience you had was true, whether it was wrong, or whether it was right. So secondly, we need to rely on God's word until, what's that phrase in that verse? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's what scripture says there in that passage. The day refers to the Old Testament expectation of judgment the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You've seen that phrase mentioned all throughout Scripture. In Malachi 4, verse 5, we'll read these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Christians look forward to this day as a day of salvation and a day of judgment. And you say, are Christians going to be judged for what they've done? The answer is absolutely. Because sometimes we think, well... Is it true, Pastor, that when I sin and I confess my sin to the Lord, according to 1 John 1, 9, that all my sin is washed away, it's, it's all made new again? I said, that's right. But you will still be judged for what you did for Christ. And this day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And that was the New Testament church recognized. Expedition, Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to judge. That's funny. We don't get too excited about that. We talk about a God of love. We talk about a a God that is caring, but God is always seen in Scripture as a God of judgment. Don't forget it, my friend. And you say, well, it makes me feel uncomfortable, Pastor. And I said, well, I understand, because there's a sense that every one of us must give an account of what we've done, what God has given us in terms of giftings and abilities. He said, what gifts? Well, when we came to a saving knowledge of Christ, we were indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, according to Ephesians 1.13. And on that basis, we receive not only the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us different gifts, according to Galatians 5.22 and 23. And those giftings are given so to equip us, to equip the body of Christ to serve in a greater way. So with the gifts God has placed in your life, you will give an account as to how you use those gifts for Him. Not for yourself, not for... Uh, for your own private thing. It's, it's, it's again, a scene as primarily a gifting to enhance and build up the body of Christ. The reference to the morning star, that's an interesting phrase. It really reflects an Old Testament picture. 
Uh, if we were to say, what is the morning star? Well, actually, as we look at this in astronomy, uh, Venus is the morning star. It's the last star that catches the sun's rays just before dawn breaks and gives the promise of daytime. And so when he talks about, and the morning star rise in your hearts, Numbers 24, 17 says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That morning star that's being referred to as none other than Jesus Christ. This regarded by Jewish leaders as the promised Messiah. Christians took it up as applying to Jesus Christ and his second coming. Revelation 22:16 brings us out. We see this, these words. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Who's saying that? That is Jesus himself. So Peter here is saying that since we walk in a dark world, our only light is the word of God. Did you hear me? Our only light in a world of darkness is God's word. So there's a challenge if I want to walk in lightness, in light, if I want to walk in truth, then I need to be an individual as a believer who's committed to studying the Word so that I can have light, so I can see, so I don't stumble, so I walk in a way that honors Jesus Christ. So if there's a day coming when He will come back and we will see Him and we will be like Him, and then at that point we'll have full revelation of truth. He goes on to say in verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What Peter was saying here was really very, very important. His point is that the person who wrote the prophecy had not only the experience, but the interpretation to go with it. But let me just back up a bit. Oftentimes this verse is used, has been used by churches in the past to say, don't study the Bible for yourself, leave it up to the priest, leave it up to the religious leaders, because they will be able to understand and interpret it for you. You really can't understand it for yourselves. I remember going door to door, knocking on doors in Summerside, Prince Edward Island, when I was church planning with a fellowship of evangelical Baptist churches. And I would meet people that came from a, a church where the priest was actually saying, don't read the Bible. And many of them had never read the Bible for themselves because they were afraid to because they were told they wouldn't understand it. And leave it to the priest to explain it to you. Unfortunately, by not comparing Scripture with Scripture, uh, it can mislead many, many people. So, what he's saying here, to Peter's saying here, is that prophecy uh, never had its or origin in the heart of man. The prophet Isaiah didn't get up one morning and say, hey, you know what? Guess what? I think I'm going to write something prophetic today. That's not how we got the Bible. Uh, Clark in his commentary said this, the prophets were gripped by God as he spoke to them and gave them a message to communicate. They were gripped. It was like the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were directed as to what they were to write. The rise of the New Testament supported the prophets' claims. Peter bounces what I call human authorship with God's authorship. God just did not communicate truth through just any man as well. It's clear that the writers of Scripture were special men whom God chose to equip to communicate His truth. And there are certain individuals that when they spoke, if you look at the prophet Jeremiah, he, it says that God's Word came upon him so heavily, 
He, it was such a burden. He had to speak the truth, even though his message was a message of judgment to his people. And people didn't like hearing what he had to say. But he said, I have this huge burden that God's placed upon my heart. I've got to preach the word because God has just so in an awesome way come upon me that I need to present what he says. Uh, that's indicative of, of Jeremiah and many other prophets. These men wrote only as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word move was used of sailing ships that were blown by the wind. The Holy Spirit, the wind of God, so directed the writers to write exactly what God wanted them. So when you look at the Word of God, you recognize this, that God directed men through His Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted them to say. That's why we believe the Scriptures are inspired and inerrant without error. So when you read Scripture, you're going to also notice the, the personalities of men and their style of writing. But the direction was that of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when you look at the, the book of Matthew, you're going to see uh, how he presents himself. You're going to see the Gospel of Mark, how he presents himself. You're going to see John. Each one, or, or Luke. Luke was a medical doctor, so he's going to pay more attention to the miracles. There's different aspects that you'll see that come out through the prophets through the, prophets, through the apostles' writing. And then Paul states this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. As God breathed out His creative breath, the Holy Spirit guided the writers of Scripture along so they put on the page without error exactly what God wanted communicated. This we believe, and this is what we teach. So today we can have confidence in the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Because today people will continually challenge the, uh, the authority of the Word of God, not only the authority, but they'll say it's a book of fables, it's a book of myths. We addressed that last week in our message. And the idea is that, can I have confidence that the Bible is God's words? Absolutely. See, the deeper Christian life really is possible for only those who are willing to submit themselves to the truth of Christ as revealed in Scripture. Did you hear that? The deeper Christian life is possible as we submit ourselves to the truth in Jesus Christ as revealed by Scripture. You want to grow in God's Word and grow in grace? You want to grow in your spiritual walk with Christ? You've got to spend time in the Word. And the Word of God, which was authored by the Holy Spirit, is the one that will reveal truth to you because the promise says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you, He indwelt you, he is to guide you into all truth. He's the author of the Word of God. He's also one who directs you into your study of the Word of God. So that's why sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll hit a passage as you're reading, you'll think like, how do I comprehend this truth? How do I really grab a hold of it? And let me tell you what you do, like many, many pastors do and many authors do. We just get on and you say, Lord, would you just, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to me the truth in their Word that you want me to see? Show me your word. And God will answer that prayer, my friend. See to abide in Christ and be sensitive to his word is of utmost importance in our daily walk with him. Second Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know something? As you and I spend time in God's word, as we spend time studying it, we'll be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. We'll be able to discern what is false teaching, what is right teaching, and what is des desperately wrong. <clears throat> the reason we have so many false teachers today and so many people falling to these false teachings is because people are biblically illiterate in our world today, my friend. They don't know the scriptures. They don't study the scriptures. Even when you listen to podcasts, even when you listen to preachers online, get your Bible out and follow and say, is he really following the word? Don't take it because, well, I, he sounds like a good guy. He's got an authoritative voice. No, no. Check the scriptures to see if what they're saying is correct. Be like the Bereans who studied to see what Paul had said, whether it was really so. And as a result, realize Paul was on track with his teaching and preaching. God's desire is for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But understand that apart from the study of God's word, that will never, ever happen. So I want to encourage you today, as you've been listening, I want to encourage you to spend time in the Word of God. Maybe you've been struggling in your devotional life. I, I get that. Sometimes we get so busy with so many things in our lives. I understand that. But maybe you need to start by opening your Bible and taking time every day just to read a portion of God's Word. Sometimes you can just uh, get a, a daily devotional, one that's very familiar in most churches is Daily Bread from Radio Bible Class. And you can take that, and there's a little thought for the day, and there's a little passage of Scripture you can read. If you get into the habit of doing that, try doing 28 days in a row, you'd be surprised that you can make a habit of spending time in the Word of God, and the Word of God, as you study it, my friend, will change your life. The other blessing, too, of studying God's Word is this. Scripture talks about in the Old Testament that the Word of God acts like an enema on the brain. It cleans all the garbage and junk out of your life. Because you study the truth in a way of scrubbing and making you clean. And we see that in Ephesians 5, 26, about by the washing of water with the word, how God washes us and cleans us up. Do you want to live for God? Spend time in his word. You want to be closer to him? Spend time in his word. Take time to be holy. Speak off with the Lord. Spend much time in secret with God alone. And he'll bless you and encourage you in your walk with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts today. Challenge us. Help us to grow, Father, that we might honor you in all that we say and all that we do. Father, help us to feed on the word of God. Help us to grow. Help us to be so like the, the, like the parable of the sower and the seed, that when the seed of God's word falls on fertile soil, that there is growth not only tenfold, but up to a hundredfold that there might be growth in our lives. So, Father, bless the study of our word, your word in our lives, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, and have a great week.